then fine. Today, I want to, uh, the title, if you want to say that, is Why Wait? Why Wait? And I wanted to share this scripture with you guys. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And I love using a lot of scripture because no one reads it. And it's like the only time that you're going to read the Bible is at church because no one reads it at home. And I'm talking about adults, not young people. I think more young people read the Bible more than adults. But it says, after saying this, he, has taken, uh, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. This is Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. Jesus died on the cross for, for our sins, right? That's why he died on the cross, to pay for our sins. I understood that when I was younger because I had gotten in trouble with the law and understood that I had to pay fines. I had to, pay my, I had to go to probation and do community service. And so when I understood for the first time that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, I could comprehend that. Jesus died on the cross when he rose from the dead. That proved his payment was valid. It means it wasn't just a nice gesture. When he rose from the dead, he made our faith real. It means that our sins were actually paid for. If he didn't raise from the dead, our faith would be worthless. And so at this moment, he's about to go back to heaven, ascend into the clouds, And it says he was taken up into a cloud while the disciples were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So the reason I wanted to share this is because this is a peculiar scenario that the disciples are watching Jesus ascend to heaven and they're just waiting there for such a long time that God had to send angels to them to tell them to move, to go, because they were just waiting. Why were they waiting? They went from being so discouraged at their, their leader, Jesus, who they had walked with for three and a half years, be, watching them get crucified and died and having all these doubts of their purpose, of their destiny, of even their faith in God. And all of a sudden he rose back from the dead and he's like, hey, oh my God, it's so exciting. He's like, all right, bye. <laughs> and so they're just like, well, what am I going to do now? And so they're just waiting. See, discouragement will cause you to stay in that waiting period. This whole last year and a half, you've been told to wait. For things to get better. Have you not? You've been told to wait for things to get better. Some of y'all, that waiting game has been long before right now. Just wait for your parents to act different. Wait for them to pay attention. Wait for them to stop drinking. Wait for them to stop doing this, stop doing that. Wait for them to stop bullying you at school. Wait for the teachers to actually treat you like a person. Wait for something real to happen. You've been just told to wait, to wait, to wait, to wait. And all that waiting will leave you feeling discouraged. And I believe that even though y'all's arms were broken when I asked if y'all were discouraged, I really believe that the generation that you guys are in are uh, coattailing off the generation before you when it comes to identifying and discouragement. We're just always discouraged. We're always depressed. We're always anxious. You know why? Because we don't know what the hell is going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen with our families, with our parents. We don't know what's going to happen in our world, in our country. We don't know what's going to happen. And you guys have been living and not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow for a long time. Much longer before the pandemic. 
And so it's so easy to take on this identity to where like your whole personhood is within discouragement. You always, even when you're happy, you have a sadness about you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It just follows you. And I want you to understand that your identity, who you are as a person, is separate from any situation that you're in. It's separate from anything that has happened to you or that you've experienced. Your identity is greater than your discouragements. And don't get me wrong, you have plenty of things to be discouraged about. I dig that. that that's real. What you've experienced is real. It, a, another transparent thing about me, I was molested when I was 14. It, it really shook me because I suppressed it for a really long time. I didn't tell anybody about it because it affected me. And I felt I had to behave in a, in a sexually more aggressive way because I had to prove my, that I wasn't this way or the other. And I had to come to a point to process what I experienced to realize that what happened to me wasn't a part of my identity. And I share that very transparently because it took me years and years and years to be able to find breakthrough in that experience in my life. Even though one out of every four girls are sexually abused in their youth. One out of every nine boys are sexually abused in their youth. That statistic would mean that there's many people in this room that have experienced that. And yet no one talks about it. Isn't that weird? Talking about discouragement. We have been having an ever-growing amount of worried expectations. You're worried about tomorrow every day, about everything. It almost feels like nothing in our world is secure. One of the, the biggest things that causes depression in young people and even in adults is the lack of security at home. Not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what that night's going to be like. And when it goes beyond our, our home, it, we don't even know what it's going to be like in school. We don't know if we're, we're going to have to, to wear this or wear that. We don't know if we're going to actually be able to be social or have friends. Or if it's just going to be like an in-person Zoom class to where we can't even beha- uh, interact with each other at school. You don't know what's going to happen. All of that discouragement, all of those things to worry about, it, it, it's overwhelming. And the next thing I'm going to say would, at first glance, seem more discouraging. And that is, life only gets harder from here. Guys, I'm telling you about coming from a, in my youth, sleeping outside, stealing food to eat. Uh, I, I was just telling Pastor Robert about he was like, where'd you get knee injuries from? Oh, well, this knee, I got hurt because I was jumping somebody and then their friends uh, came to their defense and hit me with their car. You know, I'm talking about, I'm not saying that I had the worst. There's plenty of people that had it worse than me, but it was not easy in my youth. And as I got older, things got harder. And I know that that's like a cliche with, with like the boomer generation, right? Oh, it gets harder from here. But I'm telling you, just like barely crossing over from my youth, and I'm still a young adult, I would say, I'm, I'm not 30 yet, okay? I have a lot of gray hair, but that's because I'm so smart. It gets harder. 
The, the things that are harder are different things that were hard when you were a young person. And as I tell you that life only gets harder from here, I want to say that how you respond to the discouraging event, events in your life, the discouraging things in the world, will determine your strength and the battles in the future. How you respond now will determine how you have a victory later. In your youth, as, as young students, you have the grace of time and you have the tenacity within yourself being young and vibrant to being able to bounce back. I work with adults now. I'm a pastor. I'm a senior pastor at my church and I talk with adults that are 30s, late 20s, 50s, etc. And I've been in student ministry with you guys for 10 years. For over 10 years I've been doing student ministry. What I've learned is that all the things that young people suppressed as in their, in their student age, in high school, and middle school, all of these adults that I'm dealing with now are having to deal with it, are having to process it. In your youth, you just have this, this tenacity to just bounce back to where you can have abuse at home. You could have literally get beat the night before and go to school the next day. When adults go through that, they, they call them to work. If they have a bad day, if they just feel stressed out, they just call to work. They don't deal with the next day. You have such tenacity to where you still go to school. You still go about your daily business as if you didn't just have a traumatic event in your life. I want you to understand that you are stronger right now than you realize. And that even though you feel discouraged because of whatever... You will have the strength if you learn how to respond now in your strength, in your tenacity, in your bounce back. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And to be able to do that, you have to learn how to become independent in your identity. Become independent in your identity. I really needed this water. Thanks for that dramatic pause. <laughs> Becoming independent in, in your identity, what I'm saying is you have to stop identifying yourself with fear, with anxiety, with discouragement, with depression. I, I want you to understand something. The concept of fear, I mean real fear, not like ooga booga fear, to where it's like, you know when you're like, you wake up to go to the restroom or get some water, and it's that long, dark hallway in the house that everybody knows is haunted in the middle of the night. It's just like an unspoken agreement that everyone knows that hallway is haunted. And if you don't turn off on the lights in time, it's going to get you, whatever it is. And so you run through and flip it on. You're like, thank God. Whatever it is almost got me. And when you're going back to your room, you're walking run back as fast as you can because it's going to get you. So I'm not talking about that fear. I'm talking about the anxious fear, the, the fear that causes you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. 
I, any of y'all know anything about politics right now? This last year was kind of a big political thing, right? <laughs> if you have any social media, you know that politics was a big deal. And one thing that I learned, and I'm not, I'm not going to tell you all to go uh, illegally vote prematurely. And I'm not going to tell you once you vote, you have to vote this way. What I'm saying is what I learned this last year, I feel like I learned more than any, it was more aware than any year before, is that both sides were saying, if the other person wins, the, it's going to be the end of the world. And then the other person would say, if that guy wins, it's going to be the end of the world. And people on both sides were terrified that whatever happens, it's going to be the end of the world for somebody. And even though it was so obvious, no one could grasp that these politicians are using fear to control people to action. If just as a project, anytime you see a political ad, just, just pay attention and look for the notes of fear in it. So-and-so is running for Congress and they want to destroy your health care. Oh my God, I'm so afraid now. I don't even have health insurance. What am I going to do? If so-and-so gets elected to office, he's going to destroy your family. Oh my God, I had no idea. My life was completely normal until I realized that it was being controlled by these politics. What I'm getting at is that even the normal people, businesses, organizations, politicians, understand that fear is the number one tool to control people. It's the number one control. Let me ask you this. When you think about why do you feel like you need to go to college? <laughs> now, this might be counterintuitive to a youth group. Why do you feel like you need to go to college? Because you're, you're afraid you won't succeed if you don't. You know where that was instilled? Banking institutions that produce student loans. You can be successful with or without college, but it's a lot more lucrative to produce people to be so afraid you're going to fail at life if you don't go to college. Y'all see the institution of fear? Now, to understand that fear is trying to control us, manipulate us, I want us to now identify ourselves independent of those fears. To know that even when you feel fearful of something, that that doesn't mean you have to respond to that fear. That it doesn't change who you are as a person. That you can just step away from it and still be yourself, even if you feel fear. Y'all feel me? As well as identifying yourself separate from that, you need to also stop identifying yourself by your friends. I, I have a brand on my chest. I know I'm being very transparent today. I have a brand of a circle on my chest. A, a cattle prod brand, like third degree burn brand. And I got it when, again, I told y'all that my, when I was a youngster, I did some crazy things. And let's just say a group of friends I was with, we felt really committed to one another. We'd, get, we'd fight together if we needed to. We, we would sleep outside together if we needed to. We would steal food together. We, we were like, there was a bond 
so much that we believed at the time that we were going to be in it for life. And so to signify this life bond commitment was a lifelong burn on your chest. And even though I still have this brand on my chest that is irreversible, there's no... uh, there's not an unbranding service that you can do. I don't talk to any one of those people I used to think that we were so close. Not one of them talked to me and I don't talk to any one of them. There's even been moments where I try to reach out and there's no response, no reply. What I'm getting at is we do need friends. You need friends right now. It's healthy to have friends. But when you morph yourself into whatever your friends Uh, however your friends behave or whatever they act like, even when it rubs you the wrong way, think about how many times you did something even though you felt kind of like, ugh, about it. Like you laughed at a joke that you thought was too far. Think about the times that you you genuinely uh, went along with something you didn't agree with just because the people you were with did it too. You need to learn how to still be friendly, to still have friends, but to still be an independent free thinker for yourself, a person. Don't, don't identify yourself with, uh, with, your, with friends, with, I'm, I sound like a cliche right now, with current popularity. Did you know that, I, I, you probably heard this a thousand times, but no one, uh, most of the popular people in school are like complete sellouts when they're adults. I get, I get messages from, from the certain popular, I'm not saying every, if there's popular people in this room, God bless you, I'm not saying you, but there's times I get messages from like a popular person that's just trying to sell me something, and it's like, do you have a job? Like, what are you selling? Why, why would I want essential oils? And it's just like, that popularity literally leaves the minute you graduate high school. It doesn't even carry into college. And so don't cling to that. It, it's, it's worthless. And the final thing that I'm going to tell you that you need to be independent of, and this, hear me out, okay? This might sound counterintuitive, church, you know. But you have to learn to even be independent of your family. You're connected to your family. You, you can be close to your family. But you still have to learn how to think for yourself. You still have to understand why you believe what you believe. Let me ask you this. If you have to, would you be able to ask yourself, is my faith mine or my parents? Is my faith mine or my family's? What would your answer be? Because... From, again, being in student ministry for 10 years all the way to working with adults now, I ask people all the time, why are you a Christian? And most people's responses is either my life has been really good or my life has been really bad. Or, well, my family has just always gone to church. Well, my, oh, well, my parents are Christians. And do you not see how that's a horrible answer? That doesn't tell me why. That just tells me how you got here. I want you to think for a moment, because you may have never even asked yourself, do I call myself a Christian? Am I really, do I really believe in God? Do I really believe in Jesus? Or am I just going through the motions? 
And I want you to, to, this is a really big value that I carry to my heart, and that is always answering the question of why do you believe what you believe? And if at this moment you would say that you, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, Buddhist, whatever, would you be able to answer that question of why you believe what you believe without telling me what somebody else told you? Would you be able to answer that question without telling me what someone told you? Even if you were to say, I'm a, I'm a full-blown atheist. I believe that we all just came from uh, organisms that were just happened to be on a rock. And uh, just over periods of millions and billions of years, we just formed by accident. Why, why do you believe that? Think about that concept. Because someone wrote it down. Someone told you that. Have you ever heard the, 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 the accusation, well, I don't believe the Bible because it was written by man. What are textbooks written by? What is any form of history written by? What is the Twitter account you follow written by? Every single thing in the world is written by man. And the Bible never claims to not be written by man. We know who the authors are. There's, there's over 40 different authors of, the, of both the Old Testament and New Testament. We, no, never has anyone claimed that it was not written by man. We only believe that it was inspired by God. And so I want you to grasp this concept that if everything was ever written by just another human being, it all boils down to your faith of what you choose to believe. It boils down to your faith of what you choose to believe. And I want you to really just have a growth moment in your identity. When it comes to faith, for me, I'm a full-blown believer that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. If you ever wonder of why you should believe in Jesus, the Bible actually tells you. In, in 1 Corinthians, it, it tells you that if Jesus did not raise from the dead, our faith would be worthless. Meaning that all of our faith is literally pivoted on the fact of Jesus rising from the dead or not. And that single piece of evidence is so, uh, is so historically known, without a doubt, it, it only encourages, the more that I find out about history, the more that I found about science, the more that I find about anything outside of the Bible, the more I realize how true God is. The more I realize how true the resurrection is. Do you know that there's, there's so many secular accounts, secular meaning of this world, like non-biblical, non-spiritual. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of secular accounts of the witness, of witnessing Jesus rising from the dead. Not only his death, but his resurrection. That the Bible itself was used to unearth entire nations Entire people that, that no one knew about until they actually follow, followed the trail of Scripture and realized that things in Scripture were true and real. What I found is that because of how much incredible amount of evidence there is, I believe that Jesus was a real person that died on the cross and rose from the dead, paying for my sins. And you have to ask yourself, do I believe that too? And if you do, 
then you should really make your faith your own, not your family's, not anybody else's. Make it your own and have a moment where you say, this day I believed. You need to have a decision moment and then live like it. I want to say this, that we should never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. How many of you in this room, you know, I, I'm actually not going to ask that because I don't want to, I don't want to isolate anyone. Let me repeat that again. Never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. What happened after that moment? We were in the story of the, act, of the book of Acts with these disciples as they were waiting and discouraged and just waiting for something to happen. And the next chapter in chapter 2 is when what is called Pentecost happens. It was this amazing, miraculous moment where the Holy Spirit came into the room. It was like tongues of fire. It, was a, it, it made a noise that was so loud and audible that people outside of the building came to see what it was. It wasn't just like a superstitious moment where only people in the church was like, oh my gosh, I felt butterflies. Did you? I got goosebumps. It was something so evident and powerful that everybody in the town came out to that place where they were praying to see what had happened. And it was a movement of God. And this moment was so powerful. And it's, it was in a moment where all of these believers were hiding in fear of the Pharisees that were trying to kill them. They were hiding in fear and they were sheltered, locked away in this room, praying together. Sounds like last year, right? And suddenly, a, an unexpected, very good thing happened. Suddenly, an unexpected, incredibly good thing happened. While fear often leaves us paralyzed and isolated, God is able to still do something powerful. Faith and fear are the exact same thing. And that is... Believing something without seeing it. Fear, any fear you can think of, even the ooga booga. It's believing something without seeing it. Your fear of even the future. Number one fear in, in young people when it comes to getting to the near end of high school is what am I going to do with my life? And as more and more people are like, I'm going to join this. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to go to that college. You're just like... That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do something. <laughs> I'm just going to figure it out. And you have this overwhelming fear rising up about what are you going to do with your life? What, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to live? Are, are my parents going to kick me out? Am I ready to move out? Will I be able to survive? I can't wait to move out, but I don't know how. You have all these fears just boiling up. But you really don't know what tomorrow will hold. I remember a, a moment where I was incredibly afraid of being able to pay for my bills. <laughs> uh, I was like, I could sleep outside when it was just me, but now I have a wife. <laughs> I can't make her sleep outside. And I remember being so fearful, like, how am I going to be able to do this? How am I going to be able to pay my electricity? And I remember having a moment where I felt like the Holy Spirit said, if I were to just cause... $1,000, $10,000 to just appear in your bank account tomorrow. Would you be so anxious about this? I was like, hell no. <laughs> I'll be ecstatic. I, I wouldn't even care because tomorrow something good was going to happen. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, well, you don't know, do you? 
And, and see, I was so, it was so easy to just let fear control what I thought might happen tomorrow rather than letting faith control what would, might happen tomorrow. And at the end of the day, you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what will happen this year at school. You don't know what's going to happen this year. It might be completely different than your fears. I mean, haven't you experienced that before? You're not too young. How many times have you been afraid of your first day of this or the first day of that? You're, the, if you've ever been to like football practice for the first time, it, you're afraid and fearful. And all of a sudden, it all just worked out better than expected. See, you've had moments like that. So don't allow fear to try to control you again. I want you to, to, even when it comes to these fears, if your fears really did come true, what then? What would really happen if your fears came true? Would it really ruin the world? Would it ruin your life forever? Or would it just make things difficult? Just for that moment even. Maybe it would make diff things difficult for a little while. But would it really just completely offset your course in life? where you, you'll never find a purpose. You'll never be happy because of that fear coming true. The reality is so many times we get fearful of things and we just let it keep playing in our head over and over and over and over and we let it become this huge exaggerated fear to where even if it did happen, it wouldn't be even close to what is in our head. Y'all dig what I'm saying? There is a real power within our faith of Jesus. I want you to grasp that there's a real power in Jesus Christ. It's not just butterflies and rainbows. It's not magical. There's a real raw power. I just got done telling you how I lived a life where I was drinking and smoking every day, doing drugs every day, doing cocaine, popping pills, anything I could. Why would I stop that? Even, even if I were like, well, those other things are toxic. You know, you just want to be a better person. Why would I stop smoking weed? Why would I really stop that? Because I found something better. And it wasn't just a feel-good feeling that I got in church. It is that I experienced a real power in Jesus when I believed. And I'm telling you, I tried everything else, and it wasn't until I tried the power of Jesus that I didn't need anything else. I wouldn't, why would I even waste my time lying to you about doing that, if, if I knew that it would make you feel better, oh, it might make you feel a little better, you'll be chasing something that is insatiable. It will only consume your life and never being enough. I constantly had to smoke more. I constantly had to do more because pain in life only got harder. And so if you need it now, you're gonna need a lot more later. But if you just trust, take a moment to, to the possibility of Jesus, this Jesus power being real, would it not be worth it if it would be able to fulfill you in a way that was greater than anything you've ever tried? And if it doesn't, you could go back to doing whatever you want. Think about it. But if you try to go about your faith in this churchy little pretty way to where you only just get dragged to church because your parents make you, you're going to waste so much time because you're not going to experience the true glory of God. You're not going to experience the true power of the Holy Spirit. You're only going to get emotional highs every now and then to where you feel better for a moment, but then you just go back to your discouragement. 
But if you allow yourself to trust God and the possibility of this power being real within him and chase that, it will radically change your life. I want to end with this. Do something. Do something. No matter what your age is, you are fully capable to enjoy your life and make a difference right now. No matter what your age is, you are fully capable to enjoy your life and to make a difference. We've been conditioned to wait things out, not just this year, but from the beginning of our childhood. It almost seems like for the longest time we were waiting in our lives to be 13. And once you turn 13, it's like, well, once I'm 16, then things will get better. Once I'm 18, that's when life will begin. 21, it's the finish line. Then I can do whatever I want. Well, if that were true, there wouldn't be so many adults on antidepressants, drunk and drugged out all the time. They are all people that have been still waiting their entire lives to feel good, but it never magically came. If you're waiting to feel good when you're older, you're going to be disappointed and discouraged the rest of your life. Right now, at the age you're at right now, no matter what your family situation is like, no matter anything around you, you are capable to be happy and to enjoy your life, even if it's hell all around you. Instead of making the same mistake, I want you to understand that waiting for everything around you to change, instead of doing that, be the change that you desire. I hated my childhood. I hated it. I hated my mom coming home drunk every night. I hated the things that she would say to me. I was willing to sleep outside in order to get away from alcoholism in the home. When I wanted to, because I hated that so much, I made the change to be sober, to have alcohol, be alcohol free. Because I had such a rough childhood, I wanted to be the change and I want to make a good childhood for my kids. For me, I never fit in at church. I don't know why, right? Probably because I said hell yeah. But... I just never could fit in. Instead of just wallowing and saying, no church will love me. I, I did my very best to be the difference from every, for every person that I would meet. I tried to be an accepting person to anybody else that would come to church, even though I didn't feel accepted. And now, I'm a church planter. Even though I had horrible experiences at church. What I'm getting at is you have the ability to be the change. Don't wait for it to change around you. Be the change. And even if it's terrible situation that you're in that, 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 is, uh, that you wish would change, I'm telling you, this sounds rough, but you have to learn how to make the best of it. If it's a bad family home right now, I'm telling you, it's difficult. I'm, I'm saying from experience, when we learn how to, sometimes when you have to eat crap, it's best to chew and swallow. But 
for me, the moment that I was able to, to be independent at 18, I had my own place. I, I didn't have any furniture, but I was, <laughs> I was able to get my own place and I was able to start my life. See, the, the troubles that seem like you're stuck in, you won't be stuck in forever. If, if it's school, you, it, you will not be stuck at school forever. You, you need to understand that things will change around you. But for the time being, you need to make the best of it and be the change you want to be. I want to say this one last time. You're fully capable to enjoy life, to make a difference, and to grow in your faith. And you need to stop using your age as an excuse to not be happy and to not be fulfilled. You are not too young to find happiness in your life. You are not too young to feel fulfilled even right now. Adults are chasing that feeling of fulfillment their entire life. Well, maybe if I do this, I'll feel fulfilled. Maybe I'll do this. If you just allow yourself to be in the moment right now and do something, instead of just waiting and waiting and waiting, you will find that fulfillment even now. You'll find new fulfillments as you get older, but embrace whatever age you are right now to the best that you can. And when it comes to your faith, I'm going to just be real that I really don't like pretty faith. Have you noticed that Easter is usually like just colorful uh, pastel colors all over the place? It's just like this pretty little like, oh, he's risen. Like it's just this pretty little experience. I'm talking about a bloody cross and an empty grave. The Bible is so raw and we've made it so pretty. The more that I learn about scripture, the more that I realize how down to earth God is in our problems and what we really go through. And our American church culture has conditioned us to believe that God is just up in the heavens and doesn't really understand what it's like to be here on earth. Jesus was beaten and crucified. He came to this earth for, he lived here for 33 years. He experienced hunger. He experienced lack. He experienced loneliness. He experienced abandonment and betrayal. I want us to grasp that God knows you. He understands you. And even when things are hard, he understands the very depth of how hard it is for you. And so stop making pretty prayers. Stop making your, your, your faith just your parents' faith. And grasp what you can really take hold of when it comes to God in your life right now. And you will experience fulfillment, a changed life. You will experience peace and happiness if you embrace Jesus Christ to the realness and rawness of who he is. Talk to God and be transparent with him. Tell God, have you ever prayed to God about how angry you are? How disappointed you are? Or have you just repeated the same pretty prayers? Be authentic as you try to communicate with Jesus. And you'll experience a real presence. With that being said, I want everyone here to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here in this moment and you feel like this message is hitting for you. And... 
I want to ask first, if, if you feel like it's just ministering to you, it's, it's touching your heart, and you just feel like the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. I see your hands. Now the next question I want to ask is, if you're here, and right now you realize that you've never made your faith your own, and you want to do that today. You want to make it real. You don't want to have pretty prayer moments. You want to have powerful moments with God. You don't want it to be your family's faith or your parents' faith. You want to make it your own for the very first time. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. I see all your hands. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is who he said he is. That he's the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead for our sins. That surely you shall be saved. When you break that down, what it's saying is that if you just talk to Jesus and are authentic about it, have a conversation with him, acknowledge this, the, this sacrifice, this offering that he made for you and say, I'm here, I'm ready to take it. I'm, I'm ready to do this. Surely you shall be saved. That's where it starts. And the word repentance is not a dirty, filthy word. Repentance literally means to change direction. We are all going one direction. When we find Jesus, it compels us to go into another direction. Not to, to be perfect, but to pursue something so much better. And so right now, where you're at, I want you to have that conversation with him. Talk to God. You don't even need me to lead you through it. You don't need to just copycat what I'm saying. You can talk to God yourself. Jesus knows you. The Bible says he knows every hair on your head. That's an insignificant detail to know about your life. And so if he cares about the things that don't matter, he surely cares about the tenderness of your heart. He surely cares about the things you experience. He knows you. So just talk to him. Just do your best and forget the rest. But don't rely on me or anybody else to lead you in your faith anymore. Make it your own. Make it real. And the last thing I want to ask is if you're here and you feel like you just need prayer. You might not even really know why, but you just feel like you need prayer. I want you to just raise your hand. Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message.